Hello to all of you, and I'm Anthony Scaramucci. Welcome to my podcast. We're calling it TMI, The Motivation Inside. I hope you've been enjoying these weekly podcasts. My goal is for them to be more personal so you can get a glimpse into who I am, but also who the people around me are, the people that I work with, but also my friends and the people that I associate with in, on Wall Street and other parts of uh, my life. And I really set this whole thing up because I wanted to give some insight into the thought process that goes on in becoming successful or making decisions. Uh, some of the decisions are going to go well. Some of the decisions are not going to go well. But this is a heart and soul program. This is basically uh, stripping the bark off of something, making it unsanitized for people so that it's not scripted. So if you're listening, you say, geez, this guy's not really trying to spin me. He really believes that. That's basically uh, the whole goal of the podcast. So uh, I just want to repeat a couple of things I say often. I'm the founder of Skybridge Capital. It's a global investment firm. Uh, we've got just under $13 billion under management. Uh, and for first-time listeners, listen, I'm not the typical Wall Street guy. I live two miles from my mom and dad. I do this on purpose because I think it's a grounding thing to do rather than to get up in the whole highfalutin, status-conscious uh, social baiting existence that a lot of people have, not only in my industry, but it's in Hollywood, it's in the political arena, it's in all forms of our life. I would rather just go home and uh, try to raise my kids and take care of my parents. But today, today's program, I want to address a very important issue to me, which is my support of the Republican nominee, Donald J. Trump. I've received lots of flack uh, for endorsing him and being part of his election team. I'm one of the members of his finance committee. Uh, I've been a lifelong Republican. Uh, I'm a Ronald Reagan-style Republican. I, I said to uh, my friend Brian Koppelman on the last podcast that I'm sort of the Alex Keaton of the 1980s from Family Ties, uh, where I, I bought into the Reagan idealism, the aspirational economy, and all the concepts of self-determination. And I want to lay out the foundation of my political thinking first and then go into my support of the candidate. But what's principle in the political ideology of my mindset is that we should all be treated equally under the law. But in order to have individual liberty, uh, we have to have a system of fairness as it relates to the economy. As an example, if I've decided I'm going to work 23 of the 24 hours, and then therefore my work output is going to create economic wealth for myself and my family, uh, then that's an expression of my own individual liberty, and I should therefore be able to have that. Uh, if you worked here at Skybridge, I like to tell people that the government uh, and the legal system is around to treat you equally. But as it relates to your productivity, you need to be treated fairly. And so I don't treat people equally at, at Skybridge, not to say that we don't have an employee handbook and not to say that we don't have a fair process as it goes through the management of the firm. Uh, but frankly, if you're working harder and producing more, you're going to make more money here. Uh, and so uh, there seems to be a diatribe in our political system now uh, where people are describing fairness as meaning economic equality. Okay, first off, you're never going to have that in a society because it's just not how the world works. I can give you 5,500 years of documented history as evidence for that. Uh, if you believe in socialism or planned economies or communism, uh, you can go 90 miles off the shore 
of the United States, and you can see the failed state of Cuba. You can see the failed state of Venezuela a little further south, uh, and we know what happened to the Soviet Union back on Christmas Day uh, in 1991 when they dropped that flag and they put the Russian flag back up. And so statism does not work, uh, and unfortunately for the United States, uh, it's an easy elixir. Milton Friedman once said, judge policies not by their intent, but by what actually happens in the society. And so I want to start from the beginning. Uh, I was a Scott Walker supporter uh, back in August of last year. Uh, Governor Walker and I have a personal relationship. I met him through Speaker Paul Ryan and chairman of the RNC, Republican National Committee, writes Priebus. Uh, Scott is a reformer. Uh, he was elected three times. He had a recall election, and then he had a governmental re-election. So he had three positive elections in five years. He's a reformer. He's a pro-growth governor. Uh, and I said, okay, here's a guy that has executive experience, and he's a guy that I'm going to support for, for president. There were 16 or 17 people that were about to get into the race. At that time, I had no idea if Donald Trump was going to come into the race or not. I did meet with candidate Trump. Uh, a month before he announced his presidential uh, candidacy, I was sitting in his office on the 26th floor at Trump Tower. I said, Mr. Trump, are you sure you want to do this? The, uh, the residence at the White House on the second floor is about one quarter of the space of what you're currently living in in Trump Tower. Are you sure you want to do this? And by the way, I've been on your plane. Your plane is absolutely spectacular. You don't have to carry the press on your plane. Uh, not saying that Air Force One isn't a beautiful plane, too. Uh, but you're going to then be in that, what I call the iron prison, where you're going to be sheltered by the Secret Service, uh, and it's going to take away an aspect of the freedom in your life, not anonymity for him, of course, because he's been internationally famous for 30 or 40 years, but it would take away some of your ability to move around in the country. No, Anthony, I'm uh, uh, 69 years old, and I'm going to run for president because I think it's time that we have to fix some of the things that are going on in the United States. And even though it might be an economic sacrifice for me, uh, it's something I'm willing to do. Okay, I didn't believe him at the time. I just want to be on the record for that. I've teased him about that subsequently. Uh, and so when Scott Walker was already in the race, and I did mention this to uh, Mr. Trump, I said, well, listen, I've already thrown my hat in the ring for Governor Walker. Let's stay in touch. You're obviously a dear friend. Uh, we've had a very close personal relationship. And I might add that we met each other uh, maybe 15 years ago through our mutual friend, Michael Facitelli. Uh, and if you're listening to these podcasts, Michael Facitelli hired me at Goldman Sachs. He then fired me at Goldman Sachs, and he helped me get rehired at Goldman Sachs. So he's one of my best friends, chairman of Vernado Realty, super close to Donald Trump. And so we got together uh, more closely during the Romney campaign, where uh, uh, the entrepreneur and the television star Donald Trump was making robocalls for Governor Romney. And in the five states that he made those robocalls, uh, Governor Romney won every one of those state primaries. And so Donald Trump, uh, for those of you out there that don't know him, Donald Trump is a team player. Uh, and so why did I go from Scott Walker then to Jeb Bush and not to Donald Trump? I didn't understand at that time the movement that Donald Trump had behind him. Uh, I had a lot of close friends in the Republican establishment that I'd worked for in the Governor Romney campaign. They were all with Jeb Bush. 
I'll speak very candidly to you guys. Many of my clients were also with uh, Jeb Bush. And I think Jeb Bush is a brilliant guy. Uh, He's got a fantastic resume. He was an unbelievably successful governor. And he's the right kind of guy to have behind the big desk in the Oval Office. And so so I I switched my allegiances uh, to, to Jeb Bush. We actually had him on Wall Street Week. Back in last December, uh, you can go to the Wall Street Week YouTube channel and listen to that interview. He's a very, very thoughtful guy, and I hope we can find a way in the Trump administration to bring him into the Trump administration because his leadership skills, his administrative capabilities uh, shouldn't be lost to the country uh, because he lost that election. Uh, So now, here we are. Uh, Jeb Bush out of the race, Scott Walker out of the race. You're probably figuring right now, geez, I hope he's a better investor uh, than he's a political forecaster because I went 0 for 2 uh, over the last year. Uh, So now there I was on the sidelines. Uh, I said to myself, I won't do anything until we have a presumptive nominee, uh, Scott Brown, who's been on the podcast. You've probably figured out he's a dear friend of mine. He's the former senator from Massachusetts. He's a Tufts jumbo like myself. He's on the advisory board here at Skybridge. He reached out to me and said, hey, listen, Anthony, we're going to need to raise some money for uh, uh, Donald Trump. And, and Scott was the first establishment post-elected official to endorse candidate Trump. Uh, coming out of the uh, second place finish in Iowa, Scott Brown went to the podium and said, my endorsement, and remember, he lives in New Hampshire now, my endorsement here for the New Hampshire primary Donald Trump. Scott Brown did that because he looked at the field and he said, this is the most talented. This is the most competitive. This is the most executive, highly executive functioning and organized person. Uh, Scott, let me push back on you. Uh, Donald Trump is saying some things in the marketplace, the political marketplace, that is offensive to some people. And certainly the media through the prism of the media, they are categorizing and snippeting him in a way that makes him look like a hate monger. Are you worried about that? No, I'm actually not worried about that. I think you need to spend a little bit of time with him and get to understand his political philosophy, his ideology, and who he is as a person. I said, okay, fair enough. Let's set up a meeting, you and me, let's go up to Trump Tower and see Mr. Trump and talk to him about the fundraising. And so mid-April, Back on the 26th floor, Trump Tower, in candidate Trump's office, Senator Scott Brown and I had a very spirited one-and-a-half-hour conversation with Donald Trump. I stood up. I shook hands. I said, sir, I'm going to help you out in any way I can. I'm a team-oriented Republican. Republicans, in my mind, should come together. Most primaries, if you understand presidential election cycles or presidential history, most primaries are very bruising. John Adams, for all you presidential historians out there, was called a hermaphrodite by Thomas Jefferson. Imagine that, and imagine if there was Twitter back then, what would have happened. Uh, But in the conversation with candidate Trump, and I I said, listen, there's some stuff that you're saying that's causing some problems, and clearly when you're in a presidential election— You need to win independents and you need to win crossover voters that are kind of in between being a Democrat or Republican or they could be conservative minded business people that are Democrats or or uh, more lenient or more socially progressive Republicans. We got to win those people. Uh, Let's not be alienating people. Let's be bringing them into the tent. Anthony, let me explain something to you. Okay, 
I had to knock off 16 of the most talented political executives uh, of the last 25 years. Charles Krauthammer, uh, who's a, a colleague of mine at, at Fox, the Fox News Channel, uh, said that the 17 people represented in the Republican Party for, for this primary were arguably some of the smartest people that have ever gotten on the stage for presidential politics. And so here I am. I've got to knock these guys off the stage. And so let me explain something to you. And if you know presidential history, things can get a little nasty. Uh, having said that, I think you'll be very impressed with my executive skills. And I will become a great president, and I will be very presidential at the appropriate time. But I'm here to tell you something. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm giving a, a very explicit message to people out there. Uh, presidential politics is a grueling, vituperative process. If you think otherwise, you're missing something. And what Donald Trump said to us, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this with all of you, but I'll share it with you. What he said to us is, listen, uh, at the end of the day, you have to prove to people that you're tough, you're strong-minded, you're execution-oriented, meaning you can get the job done, because at the end of the day, they want somebody nice in the presidency, but they also want somebody they know is going to take care of the country, look after their interests, and be the kind of guy that can go in there and fix things. Um, and now I want to speak to you uh, in a voice that I think that most of you will get. If I were the attorney for the American people, and I was going to go before a bipartisan grand jury and issue a political indictment. And I reckon with you that this is a bipartisan indictment. This is not railing on one party. I would say to you that the political class, the establishment class, on both sides has actually failed the United States. And here would be the Liz pendants for the indictment. Number one, I'd say we've racked up $20 trillion of debt and counting. Number two, we prosecuted two wars in the last 16 years. The average American doesn't feel any safer. Number three, the economy for lower-class Americans and middle-class Americans is a fantastic struggle. If you're a wealthy individual out there, God bless you. I'm not here to begrudge anybody that's wealthy. Certainly, I want everybody to become wealthy, and I believe in an aspirational society. But if you're a wealthy individual out there, Please recognize that there is real pain in this economy. There's anxiety about jobs. There's anxiety about job skills. There's been a transplantation of technology into the core manufacturing base of the United States. Many jobs have been, been hollowed out by our trade agreements. Um, and so if you're a rich or wealthy individual out there, do not be insulated. Understand the pain. Real income. Well, real income wages are up about 2.7% in the last 11 years. Disposable income, that's the money that's in your pocket, you can go out and actually spend. Okay, that's down about 8.5% over the last 10 years. So the average American has about 92 cents in their pocket relative to what they had 10 years ago, and they're trying to feed their children, educate their children, paying for their home mortgages. There is palpable anxiety out there that the political establishment is not listening carefully to. And I'll tell you, there's one person on the political stage today that is actually listening to it, and that's Donald J. Trump. And he tapped into something in the public uh, that people that are his opponents will say are hate-mongering, but I don't believe that because I've been to these rallies. He's tapped into something in the, in the republic where he's basically saying to people, hey, there's something wrong with the system.
I'm an execution-oriented person. I can help fix the system. I can bring new blood into the system. I can act as an entrepreneur. And I wrote a Wall Street Journal op-ed about this. It was published on May 16th. I said, don't confuse what you're thinking is uneven principles for an entrepreneur's adaptability. Donald Trump is going to come at this from a lot of different angles. He's going to present many, many different ideas. Uh, He is going to bargain and negotiate on behalf of the interests of the United States and the American people, not the way the political class has done it so far, but in a different way, on behalf of the lower and middle class. Okay, and so we're going to look at things not the way the lobbyists want to look at them, not the way the entrenched interests around Washington want to look at them, but what is actually in the best interest of the American people. Uh, here's a guy that doesn't owe anything to anybody, uh, and so he'll be able to make those, those assessments. On the path to the nomination, there is no question, and every presidential candidate does this, our gaffes are made, verbal misnomers. Uh, uh, things are said that are probably regrettable in some ways. No question about that. But you can't find a human being, a person that knows Donald Trump personally in the 69 years of his life that would ever call him a racist. And so I want to spend a couple of minutes on what Donald Trump is really like as a human being. Number one, he's incredibly charitable. And he's charitable in a public way, but he's also charitable in an anonymous way. He's gone out of his way to help people. I'm going to go back to Fred Trump, because I know family members uh, in the Italian-American community that lived in Trump apartments uh, 50 or 60 years ago, where Donald Trump as a young man and Fred Trump were knocking on doors to collect rent. And there were certain cases where blue-collar workers were out of work, and Fred Trump, through his compassion, said, hey, I know you're going to pay me the rent, We're going to let this slide for a month, and you can double up on on the next month. Uh, And that resonated throughout that community of the type of people and the type of compassion and empathy that these people have for others. Uh, Donald J. Trump Jr. said that his father is the blue-collar billionaire. And I asked Donald about that, and he said to me, listen, you know, I worked on these construction sites. I went with my father day to day to see uh, what the real common struggle is for workers. And I can actually have empathy for them and understand where they are. uh, And and, and God willing, because of my station in life and my situation— I'm going to be able to do things for them that candidates and politicians off of uh, sound bites and political consultants speak and teleprompters are not going to be able to do. Now, he has gaffed. He probably doesn't want me to say that, okay, but he's talked tough while he's gaffed. He has gaffed, and he has said things that uh, I wish he didn't say, frankly. But you want to know something? He's getting full credit for not being a politician, Because what do politicians do? They try to thread the needle with their verbiage. They try to say one thing, but they mean another, and they try to cover all of their bases. It's this sort of nonsense that has gotten the American people and the American government in the trouble that we're in right now that we have to dig ourselves out of. And so when Donald Trump is gaffing, he's garnering more and more support because it's just more evidence that he's not the typical politician. I'm going to take a couple of emails here and then probably break this, but there's an email here from David from New York City. Last August, you emphatically said on Mornings with Maria that Donald Trump basically hates the hedge fund industry, and he has flipped on that. Are you okay with that? 
Okay, well, I don't necessarily know if he hates the industry. I think what he's basically saying is that the carried interest taxation provisions were unfair. I didn't like some of the stuff that he was saying about the industry. Uh, And if you watch that show, and thank you for watching, by the way, mornings with Maria, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., weekdays. But let me just say this to you. Uh, uh, Someone's talking about my industry. I'm going to defend the industry. Uh, And so when Donald I went at it, he goes, geez, you gave me a lot of guff on that show. I said, well, you know what? I gave you a lot of guff. Do you want wallflowers next to you? Do you want shrinking violets next to you? Or do you want people that have a backbone that are going to tell you exactly how they feel without the sycophancy? What do you want, Mr. Trump, about people around you? So so my issue with uh, Mr. Trump and the hedge fund industry, which I've explained to him, is number one, we create a lot of jobs. Number two, uh, if you want to do it the carried interest uh, uh, taxation, it's fine by me. But let's go through the economic impact study and the analysis if it's in the benefit of everybody to do that. Will that mean less taxes or more taxes? You've got the, the, uh, the, the left-leaning governor of Connecticut is structuring a deal right now for a hedge fund to stay in Connecticut. Because one of my good friends, David Tepper, said, okay, I've had enough of this taxation in New Jersey and moved himself down to Miami. So you have to remember something about taxes. Taxes are a price for services. There's a lot of liberal politicians out there who say, hey, you know, no problem. We'll just keep raising the taxes. We'll keep raising the taxes. Well, you know what happens? You change people's behavior when you do that. If you want to tax me at 92 percent, well, the chances are it's going to diminish my motivation to get up at 4 a.m. and show up at this office. And so, so I just want to be clear with people. I've had my differences with Donald Trump, no question about that. I'll remind everybody of an aphorism that Mayor Ed Koch once said when he was campaigning. Uh, uh, The mayor said, if you believe in what I'm saying, nine out of 12 times, if you agree with me, you should vote for me. If you agree with me 12 out of 12 times, you need a psychiatrist. Okay, and I want to put that in perspective for everybody. Another email coming in, John S. from Chicago. Anthony, do you really think that it's presidential to attack people personally as Trump has. Well, number one, it may not be political. You see, he doesn't think like or act like a politician, and that's basically his appeal. And so when he's attacking people, I point out that most of the time in politics, there are ad hominem attacks. Uh, Moreover, President Obama, in the summer of 2012, executed an ad hominem attack strategy on Governor Romney, where he tried to position Governor Romney as Daddy Warbucks and out of touch with the average American. Uh, and that was a very f- successful ad hominem attack. What you learn uh, is that no matter what, and this is probably an axiom of politics, there will be personal attacks on each person. I will say this, if you're going to get in a verbal sparring or verbal uh, boxing match with Donald Trump, well, you better be very well armed because he's quick on his feet. He will identify what he sees as the weakness in you, and he'll stick it to you in a way that you've never seen before. And so so what I say about that, is it presidential or not presidential? He's not president yet. He's a candidate for the presidency. Go back through the 240-year history of our republic. People have been mudslinging for the 240 years. It's going to happen 240. God willing, the republic will stand, and 240 years from now, there will still be the mudslinging. Here's another email. Deborah from Simi Valley, California. Anthony, will America be safe under Donald Trump? What? That's what we care about, and truthfully, his abrupt behavior and lack of patience scares me. Okay, that's a legitimate thing to say. Number one, the country will be safe and possibly safer. 
Number two, some of the things that he's doing with the bellicosity of his language is sending a message to people like ISIS. You may not like everything he's saying. Uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, retired military that I've talked to are upset about the we're going to do uh, waterboarding and more commentary, but I don't think he means it in the sense that he's actually going to execute that as much as he means it as a symbol to our adversaries out there, that he is going to be an unpredictable figure for them. He's not going to announce when troops are deployed. He's not going to announce when troops are coming out. He's not going to shackle, from a rules of engagement perspective, the American military to get its job done. In fact, if anything, he's going to take a very non-ideological, common-sense approach to our national security situation uh, and to our global alliances. Uh, I will tell you this. I've known him for a long time. He's got businesses in most of the continents around the world, and he's got exemplary relationships with most of those people that are in those businesses. And so what you're seeing is uh, uh, a little bit of radicalism in his verbiage. I'm seeing as somebody that wants to put people on edge and get them off the balls of their feet, particularly our adversaries. So, yes, I do believe that we will be safer. Is Donald Trump a friend of Wall Street? It's the last question I'll take, and then I want to uh, have a quick summation. Uh, I would say he's not a foe of Wall Street. I wouldn't say that he's necessarily a friend of Wall Street. But what I would say about him is that he recognizes as a commercial entrepreneur uh, something that we have to get back to. There is a nexus between Wall Street and Main Street that has built the fabric of the American dream and the American society. At the end of the day, uh, and we've got a great musical about uh, Alexander Hamilton today that's over on Broadway. At the end of the day, Hamilton set up the infrastructure and the architecture of our capitalist system, uh, and he did it understanding uh, that we needed to have principles of sound credit and access to flowing capital uh, to grow our infrastructure, to build our buildings, to create our standing army. Uh, and without Wall Street, the way I look at Wall Street, Wall Street is the circulatory system for capitalism. You want to regulate and constrict Wall Street, you're hardening the arteries of the capitalist system. You're making it more difficult for capital to flow in the most efficient places that it needs to flow in. If you just think about the horizontal drilling and the American fracturing uh, energy industry, uh, once we figured out that we could horizontal drill and we developed that technology to take more oil and natural gas out of the ground, uh, if not for Wall Street, where would these great engineers and technologists and these great innovators get the access to the capital to flow into their ideas? If not we're Wall Street, how are we going to create Facebook? Google, the places that we go to for our uh, consumption, Walmart, Apple. And so what Donald Trump understands is that we need a successful Wall Street. And I do predict that the demonization of Wall Street will end uh, uh, once he becomes president. Ultimately, I believe in the United States of America. It is a phenomenal country. Uh, I am so lucky to be born here. I'm of Italian-American uh, descent. My grandparents emigrated here from Italy for a reason. They saw opportunity for themselves and their families. They worked in service-oriented jobs, and they were uneducated. This is why I always tell people, you better treat people below you super nice. 
Okay, they could have been your grandmother from another generation. You have to have compassion and empathy for everybody. But as an entrepreneur in this country, what I would say to you uh, is that you have to work and you have to believe in your own self-determination to get there. The government is not going to solve your problems, okay? My goal in supporting Mr. Trump is to make sure that we all continue to have choices and opportunities. I don't believe it's immoral at all. In fact, if anything, I think that the choice is going to be very, very clear uh, for the American people going forward. And as Abraham Lincoln once said about the American people, the American people have a very good nose. Uh, they know that there's a problem. They smell a rotting cadaver in their basement. It is the current structure of the federal government. It needs to be disrupted. It needs to be changed. Uh, and I look forward to trying to help Mr. Trump uh, and the exemplary team that he's going to surround himself with affect that positive change for the American people. And so with that, I want to say thank you. And until next time, follow me on Twitter at Scaramucci. S-C-A-R-A-M-U-C-C-I. Remember to email me at podcast at skybridgeinsights.com. Please subscribe to this podcast, TMI, with me, Anthony Scaramucci, on iTunes. And don't forget, if you can, please rate the show, review it, even if you hate it. Uh, it'll help us uh, make these shows better. Uh, we want to continue to bring you the content that we think matters most. Uh, please share this podcast with your friends and coworkers. And as always, thank you for listening.